Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 113, with Jesse Cavana. And welcome to episode 113 of Makers of Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. My guest for this episode is a basketball junkie, born and raised in the state of New York, and currently residing in Brooklyn. After playing college basketball at Skidmore University, her career journey led to designing in college athletics, then to the NBA then ESPN, and then back to the NBA where she is today. Like most Hoopers, she's a sneaker lover and has turned a hobby of painting sneakers into a lucrative side hustle, customizing sneakers for numerous professional athletes such as Eli Manning, D'Angelo Russell, and teams like the New York Red Bulls. Recently, she's begun dabbling in illustration, and her work has found its way to the social media feeds of ESPN, SB Nation, and more. A true multidisciplinary creative. I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast the senior graphic designer for the Brooklyn Nets and my longtime friend, Jesse Cavana, aka JCAF. Welcome to the show, Jess. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. Yes. we. For those that aren't in the know, we have been sort of working on trying to make this happen for, for quite some time. Um, I think we met on Twitter back in like early on in Makers of Sport and and I had asked you to come on and and I appreciate the humility actually because I, at that time I think you were telling me like I'd like to get a few more years under my belt um, which is which is very rare to hear in this day and age and especially in this industry because it's funny I actually get kids all the time that are like some of them are even in college and they're like yeah I want you to come on I want to come on your show and I'm like what would, we, what would we talk about? Like your school project? I mean, this is, <laughs> this is like this is like a career journey, right? Like, have you listened to any of these episodes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think at the time I was, you know, probably 23, 24 maybe. And I, I just sort of didn't feel like I had a lot to talk about. And right. we can go into it, but I definitely have a pretty bad case of imposter syndrome as it is. And I sort of was, you know, self-conscious about, where I was at and I guess what I had to talk about. And I just wanted to be able to tell the right story. And and even now I'm like, I still feel like I almost don't even have that interesting of a story to tell, but I realize that it's constantly getting written and it's constantly growing. So let's just yes. you know, jump in and it's, it's, yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, and that's the beauty of, of this, right? Because I've seen, so I've, I've met so many people over the years through this side project that I've done. And, and, you know, speaking of side projects, I definitely want to get into some of your side projects later on the episode. Um, but it's been a true blessing to meet people, including yourself and get to know, know people. And speaking of that, it's kind of funny. We, we actually, there could have been potential that we could have crossed paths at various times in our lives. Um, number right. one, so you went and played college basketball at Skidmore uh, up in Saratoga Springs, New York. I actually had some letters and some interest from Skidmore when I was playing high school basketball. For me, it was like I was a kid from Kentucky and moving to New York, like no chance, right? Like I'm, I'm a family guy. <laughs> like, like I'm sticking around my fam. You know, this, this, uh, this mountain kid from down here in, in the Appalachian Hills is, is not about to go to the big city. But um, so we almost crossed paths there. And then we you also- would have been, You would have been, um, not to cut you off, you would have been 
well, uh, you know, in your place there because we were the thoroughbreds. Yes. So you, you at know, least would have had that, that tie to Kentucky. Absolutely. So my, the, the guy that was actually the best man in my wedding, um, him, him and his, his wife moved up there and lived there for a few years. Oh, and, nice. and they were always trying to get us to come up. We never, we never got a chance to because that was when we had, my wife and I had kids and it's just a lot harder to, to travel in, in those types of situations. But they always talked about going to the horse tracks and they sort of felt like that it was like a, um, an oasis, I guess, in New York because they sort of felt like home, right? Because it was they're from Kentucky, oh, the horse racing and that kind of thing and sort of the same culture and all that. But yeah, very oh, cool. Oh yeah, it's a ton of fun up there. I go back to the racetrack, you know, once a year, probably in the summer, see my friends. A lot of my college friends still actually live up there in the yeah. capital region and, uh, you know, upstate. A lot of them haven't really come down to the, the city. So it's a nice little getaway weekend. Like you said, just I, I'm here in the city and Love to go up there, see the races, have a nice weekend. It was a great place to go to college. It's awesome. it's sort of a fitting time too that we're conducting this podcast, right? Because it is uh, for listeners. It is currently April twenty seventh. Tomorrow is your birthday, and then sure um, and then my birthday is actually May first. So we both kind of have like a very close close birthday to Derby Day, and and like you know the, kind of in the mix of like the horse racing season. So that's a that's definitely an interesting little connection there as well. So you went to school uh, at Skidmore. You played uh, college basketball there, but you, according to your LinkedIn profile, you majored in um, business management with a with a minor in studio art. So I'm curious, like, how did sort of graphic design and those types of things get on your radar? Did you have a, a creative gene, I guess, growing up? Yeah, for sure. When I was in high school, I took you know the studio art course that we offered, and then I also got a chance to take. Um, the graphic design course that we had, which was cool. But then there was also, you know, and I don't like to use the word regret because I, I do feel like things all happen for a reason, but there was a, an AP studio art class that I was able to take in high school and didn't. And I think it was sort of just a matter of, I saw, I knew the kids who were going into that course and for some reason thought that I wasn't going to be as good as them, or I might, you know, not be able to keep up. So mm-hmm. I didn't take the course, which was, interesting. And I sort of saw myself possibly going more into a marketing um, major at a school. And so when I started to look at colleges, I was looking at a lot of schools that were recruiting me for hoops. And so I was looking at school through a little bit of a different lens than probably most kids. And so I would get, you know, letters or communications from schools who wanted me for basketball. And then I would go and look at their site research on the school and see what majors they have and if they had a graphic design major or if they had, you know, a marketing major, advertising, I was looking at those sorts of things. And I just remember there was a school I really liked. It's also in the Saratoga area of New York, Mm -hmm. um, the capital region called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, RPI for short. And they really wanted me for basketball. They actually had a really, really good graphic design program that I shadowed the the girl on the team that I was staying with, shadowed her in the class. It seemed awesome. It just, you know, and and the basketball team was a good fit, but it just wasn't the fit for me. I I loved my visit and I I could see myself going there, but then when I went to Skidmore to do my overnight visit, I just kind of fell in love with it. And it just so happened that they didn't have a graphic design major, but it was that team and that coach and, that campus and that town that really just made me want to go there. And I sort of, and this is a very unusual kind of thing to do. I I sort of majored in 
kind of my plan B, which was business. Um, they didn't have a marketing major either, but it was sort of this thing where they have all these marketing courses, advertising courses, whatever it was. And then there was studio art, which had graphic design courses. And I figured I would just kind of mesh the two together. And, you know, I, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I sort of, as a young kid, I remember when I was in even middle school saying, I want to work in marketing for the Knicks. And right. <laughs> which kind of makes me laugh now. And I mean, my coworkers know, and a lot of people know that I grew up a fan of the team across the river, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> and they like to, to jab me for that. But I, I sort of didn't even really think anything of it, except I want to, I want to work in marketing for the Knicks. And so I just figured I would do the business major, take the marketing courses, learn a bit about graphic design. I knew I liked it from high school and, you know, see where it took me. And then of course it sort of led me to sports after school and, you know, the rest is, is history. That's cool. So when did you, I know that you went to, I guess you were an athletic assist design assistant there during that time. So is that sort of when you discovered like the whole sports design aspect of things? Yeah, I would say so. Um, when you first get to campus, you kind of have to work the dining hall job and the coffee shop job. Right, right. But once I was, uh, so I actually graduated in three years too from school. Yeah, that's craziness. Um, so did you only play basketball for three years then? I did. And I even, I got uh, injured my freshman year, had to have surgery. So I, I really only played two years. Oh, wow. Um, so, which which sucks, I, I will say. But, um, but yeah, so when I was a junior or senior, um, I started to work with the athletic department a little bit and you know, I was doing some, some just odds and ends. But then one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was making flyers and, you know, other signage and things for the athletic department. So to promote the bigger games and to just kind of, you know, beautify spaces and just, mm -hmm. you know, different things like that. So I was working directly with the athletic directors and, um, you know, putting that sort of stuff together for them, which was, which was cool. Uh, so that was probably, yeah, I would say where it started, had a couple, you know, just small internships and in kind of the entertainment space during the summers, uh, right. between my, my college years. But yeah, I would say that's probably where, uh, where things kind of kicked off for me. What, what, uh, what type of things were you looking at back then? Right. Because there wasn't, there obviously wasn't that sports design existed, but there wasn't like a, a quote unquote community, right? Like today where people are speaking about it, people are showing their work. So, it, cause I remember during that time period too, it was hard to find things to look at for inspiration or, or sort of study other schools and, and that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I honestly couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you. Um, it was probably just going on Google and, you know, searching for flyers and, and things like that. Because like you said, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it feels like forever ago, but I mean, it was 2011, 12. I definitely didn't have, you know, profiles on a lot of different sites. I don't even know if right. Behance was around by Instagram might not have been out for sure. I, I know that Twitter was around then, but it wasn't, I don't think people were actually posting images and graphics to it yet. Right. I definitely had a Twitter, I think it, all of college, but it was, I remember they were just starting to introduce images and then Instagram kind of came up my senior year. So Instagram might've been just coming mm -hmm. up at that time, but I wouldn't say that, you know, teams were, or, you know, brands were posting a lot of, you know, design, right. I guess you could say, um, which is really interesting to think about, um, you know, the fact that 
like, I don't even, I remember there was a portfolio site before Behance that I had, and I honestly can't even remember the name of it. It was something with a C, um, or, or DeviantArt too. Oh yeah. Probably on there was it Coreflot? Coreflot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that site still exists. Don't don't look for it. No, no, yeah. Well, okay. Your site still exists. That website <laughs> yeah, still yeah. exists. But I felt like that was like almost very industrial design based. There's a lot of seemed like there's a lot of industrial designers there or something. Right. I think it was just that was the the only place that I knew that I could that makes have it easy a portfolio. Yeah. Right. That I could look at. So yeah. so at some point um, you go and you become a promotions intern for the Hudson Valley Renegades. Um, was this also during college? What types of things were you were you doing there? So that was my first gig out of college. Um, I sort of got to that second semester senior year and was like, all right, I got to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Uh, So I started applying for whatever jobs I could find, a lot of just marketing and advertising type roles in the city. I I was trying to work at this ad agency uh, that didn't work out, but I, um, I knew about the Renegades because I had a friend who was a year older than me who had interned for them the previous season. Mm-hmm. And of course I'm thinking to myself, well, sports, I mean, why not? That's, that's really cool. I just, I almost didn't even realize that it was a career that could really be had. And I, 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 right. I joked about it when I was a kid, like, Oh, I, I want to do this, but really it, it became real. And so I just, you know, I applied, I remember I, I drove down there in a snowstorm um, and yeah. the Renegades is a, is a team that it's like uh, in the Hudson Valley, of course, but it's probably half an hour from where my parents lived. And um, it was uh, we used to go to their games as as kids, and so I was familiar with the with the stadium and the team, and you know just the atmosphere that that minor league baseball is all about. And so you know I applied there. I actually was interested in the graphic design role, mm-hmm. but ended up getting the promotions role, which was essentially entertainment um yeah so were you having to wear like a uniform and dance on the dugout oh you have no idea (laughs) we gotta dig up those images oh my uh, they exist they sure do so we had a group of us there was a a pretty big group of interns there were some some full-time i was one of the full-time interns and then we had a lot of part-timers and usually the part-timers are the ones wearing the crazy costumes, but I definitely right. had my fair share. And we would just we would just come up with the most ridiculous games and just little um, you know entertainment things to do on the field for the mm-hmm. fans. And it was just it was so much fun. I mean, and then I had days where I was the mascot, and I walked to the through the mall with uh, free oh, tickets, giving funny. out vouchers to people <laughs> trying to get them to come. But it was actually a really fun season because the team won the championship of the the league that they're in New York Penn league. Um, So that was, that was cool. So it was actually, you know, a really exciting season and I met some amazing friends and, and mentors and just people who have kind of even stuck with me to this day, you know, eight years later, nine years later, we're still friendly and um, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, but we're, we're talking about pulling tar. We're talking about, you know, (laughs) selling tickets. We're talking about any, all all the dirty duties. All the duties as assigned, the other duties as assigned. Yeah. So I assume because of the whole Hudson Valley connection, did that, is that what led to you becoming a, a designer and, and marketing assistant at, uh, at West Point? Yeah. So that's exactly what, what led to it. Um, the two are really close in proximity. Um, and so a lot of people who were working at Army Athletics had come from the Renegades. It was sort of like this feeder mm-hmm. program for it, which is cool. Um, and... 
so yeah, once the once the internship ended with the Renegades in September, I sort of needed the next thing, and it worked out really well that you know my my boss at the at the Renegades had the connection there, and just so happens that you know Army was looking for a marketing intern mm-hmm. for their season, um, their their year, and so that's where I went next, and that's where I really started to get more serious about design. Mm-hmm. Um, I was technically a, a marketing assistant there too, but and I, you know, I was putting together marketing plans and, and helping with with all of that. But I sort of, since I had this ability to do Photoshop, um, you know, just from from college, you know, learning all the programs and then doing mm-hmm. it a little bit, just just dabbling at it a little bit at the at the Renegades. But I, you know, I basically got there and they were like, oh. You, you can make flyers. I was like, I think I can. <laughs> so, uh, so I started to make all the flyers and the email graphics and social media graphics. And so that's where I really kind of, I would say, flip the switch from, you know, I, I think I really want to be a designer. Whereas right. when I was with the Renegades, I more was just, oh, you know, I, what, wherever, you know, whoever will hire me in, in whatever role I'll do, I'll do marketing, I'll do, I don't know, building ops, like whatever, whatever it has to be. Right. Um, but when I was at Army, I would say I definitely kind of fell in love with, with designing, I would say. And, uh, you know, really started to just do more and more of it. Um, and so, you know, I, and I had a lot of cool opportunities there to go to the Army-Navy game. And yeah. It's just Which is, West Point. I mean, that's like a, a bucket unique. list type thing, right, in the world of sports. Right? Oh, yeah. So it's like- it really is. And now I've been to, I think, like seven or eight of them. I've just, I've just gone every year. Um, since yeah. then, which has been really cool. That's really cool. But, so you stayed in touch with a lot of those people, I guess. Yeah, even even to this day, and you know, a lot of them have moved on to other other schools. But that's what's kind of cool about it is now, you know, about sports too. Is just I have connections at you know all the different schools that that those people have gone on to. So it's kind of this right. uh, this web that gets created, if you will, you know. Right, for sure. So so this particular portfolio that you'd build at this point. Um, is what led you to a place where where you and I almost had another sort of misconnection, yeah. I guess you could say. Um, you came to Lexington, Kentucky, and there was a company there at the time. It was called IMG College. For those that are unaware, um, there was a company called Host Communications. It was a, a sports marketing company in the college athletic space. They were acquired by the global sports agency, IMG, became IMG College, and then later, uh, probably like a year or two ago, actually merged with a company called Learfield. So now they're known as Learfield IMG College. But sort of in a roundabout way, um, it was all the same company, just, just different names from mergers and acquisitions. So how did that come about? Because I know that you, while you were there, you would have worked with two people that that I knew and worked with, uh, Sarah Jane and Christy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I was kind of nearing the end of my time at West Point, and I say that because it was sort of this, you know, you'll be here until the end of the school year, you know, essentially until May, but you know, we don't really know what's going to happen after that. And, you know, of course I'm starting to get the pressure from, you know, the family, Hey, when are you going to get a a full-time job? You know, these internships are great and you're getting a lot of great experience and you're doing really cool things you care a lot about, but um, it was time to start thinking about, you know, getting a a full-time job. And so I started, you know, basically applying kind of anywhere, you know, I was just hitting teamwork and I was, you know, of course my, my heart has always kind of been in pro sports. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of, I think a product of where I grew up, where it's a very pro sports city. It's all about the Yankees and the Knicks and, and all that. It's, there's not really, you know, like in Kentucky, as you're well aware, it's, it's just, it's UK. That's it. Right. Um, and so, but, you know, I found the job and I, I thought it was really interesting. And, you know, the, the portfolio of, of schools that they were working with was, was incredible. It was, right. you know, I remember when I went down there, I did a, my kind of exam project that they had me do a test project. And, uh, mm-hmm. it was designing a program cover for Oregon football. Yeah. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I were was, they still uh, using cork? I, they were when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, that's so awful. I, you'd have to you'd have to ask uh, one of those guys. Well, that's why I was curious if they were still using it when you were there, because that's still that's pretty late in the game still, like to be using cork, right? Because we're talking yeah. InDesign. Yeah, really taking I think they knew and, that we would sort of like poke fun at ourselves, but uh, that was just kind of just kind of the way that that they wanted to roll. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I was super scared to move to Kentucky, kind of like what you said earlier, where you were terrified to consider moving to New York right. to go to, to go to school. I was the same way and I was 21 and I would have been moving there by myself. And, you know, even at that point too, all my friends were still in college or just about to right. graduate and come home and, you know, have the, the come home, meaning, you know, probably come home to their, our hometown and, you know, everyone was going to have the time of their life. And I was like, Nope, going to pick up and move to Kentucky by myself. Um, so it was, it was intimidating. You yeah. know, I'm not going to lie. I, I, uh, it was a complete culture shock, basically, from <laughs> what I was used to. Um, but I acclimated pretty quick, made some good friends through the office, um, lived with a couple students at UK, uh, mm-hmm. which worked out well, and you know had some good times there. And, and I really, you know, I did enjoy the job a lot. I was kind yeah. of in charge of my handful of schools. The way that they did it was there was, you know, the three designers, um, and I sort of had my my schools, and then you know Christy had her schools, and Sarah mm-hmm. Jane had her schools, and I had Baylor, and Tennessee, and Yukon um, was one of them, which was cool, just being from the Northeast. And so right. I was, and it was funny too because um, my great aunt lives in the Yukon stores area, mm-hmm. and she goes to all the women's basketball games, and she used to go to the games and actually get my programs. Yeah. And that's cool. And your name's you know, in it, seven, right? As a designer. Yeah, so that's like one of the best exactly. parts. Yeah. So that was really cool. So, you know, I, I um, yeah, so I, I was super proud of, of the work that I did there, but, um, was the, was the room still painted black? Were you in that old house thing? No, they had showed me that building, but no, we were in a nice new, much newer. Oh, were you downtown? Yeah. Like, like, okay. uh, like a little four story ordeal. Like, yeah. Tiny little building. The, uh, the UK, the people who worked at the university were in the same building. Okay, yeah, I know, I know exactly where you're at because when I was there, I would, I would split my time between. That was where Host Interactive was, so I told them when I got there, mm-hmm. I wanted to start dabbling in web design. So they would send me down there like two days a week, and then the publishing operation was out in that huge house over by the Legend Stadium. Right. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, so we would drive past that and. And they would tell me the, the stories. Now, you were no longer connected. So what was cool back then was I, I was actually, they actually owned that printer back there. I think it was mm, thoroughbred yep. printing when you were there. But we would actually, I would, I would get to go walk back there and I'd talk to all those printing people and learn about various processes. And they'd show me all the machinery and all these things. So it was, it was a cool opportunity to work there and get to see all that stuff. But I do remember it being like a grind. Like it was 
lot of work, very fast paced, and you were sort of because you had multiple, you know, quote unquote clients in the schools that you were in charge of, you had multiple editors would come in and be like, my project's important, my project's important. And you're just like, okay, well, mm-hmm. which one? I don't know how to give this priority. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Everything's a priority. So <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then too, a lot of them had, you know, football and men's and women's basketball, and then also baseball. Um, so it was kind of a, a year long grind. I, I don't really recall if the summer was even, you know, like this, you would think that the summer would be kind of low key, but I, it probably wasn't because we were probably getting oh, ready. Was crazy. You know, for, college football, like it, media guides. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, that too. You know, we had all those different things. Some, some schools wanted just their, their posters design. I remember I did NIU. They, we did their poster every year. Boston college had, had hockey for us. And that was a, that was a big one. Cause mm-hmm. they're, they're a pretty good program. Um, I think I worked. So I yeah, worked on know. Boston College. I worked on Boston College football and hockey, and then I was over like the mm-hmm. SEC, so like all SEC championships. Oh yeah, the the championships too. So we had. I remember I did the the Final Four cover for the women's tournament, the women's basketball tournament, right before I left, which is cool. I had to have somebody send it to me. Yeah, I had, I had uh, <laughs> moved on, but, moved but on. that was a cool one. Well, let's get into that. So you were you were at. IMG College for a year. And then as someone that's a basketball junkie, an opportunity opens up at the Suns. So talk about that opportunity. That is actually where we did end up crossing paths because March 2014, according to your LinkedIn, is where is when you went there. That is actually exactly when I started Makers of Sport in March 2014. So I started like trying to follow people, trying to reach out to people. And I had just, the year you were in Lexington, I, I had taken a short break from full-time freelance and was working as a career director at a web shop, which was like, you know, three blocks away from where you're at. So it's crazy we didn't cross paths, but, but uh, yeah. So tell us about the whole son's journey and, and that type of thing. Yeah. So, you know, spent my year at IMG and, you know, like I said, I, I really enjoyed it, but just being all, all, all ball all day at heart. I, I really just had dreams of, of being in the NBA. And so I um, got the job at the Suns, and I was stoked to move to Phoenix. I mean, I, probably almost melted. Uh, but it was just, it's a cool city. It's a, it's an exciting brand and it was an exciting group of people. I was, um, you know, really happy to, to go there and the team was pretty good. Um, right off the bat, I remember they were, it was kind of Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe and, you know, we sort of dove right in, but the weird thing too, was that I got there and it was March, like you said, mm-hmm. and, the sun season was wrapping up and they actually missed the playoffs by a game. So the sun season was over like at the beginning of April and, you know, me thinking, I didn't really even think anything of it, but all of a sudden then the Mercury season, the you know WNBA team that was ramping right up. And I was, you know, new girl on the totem pole, but it was, Hey, you're, you're Merc girl. Now you're going to work on all the Mercury stuff. So, yeah. uh, which at first I was like, Oh man, that's, that's kind of a bummer. You know, girl behind me was working on Suns season tickets for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was cool about it was uh, the Mercury had Diana Tarazi and Brittany Griner, and they were a great team. They won the title that year. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, got to basically fully immerse myself in Mercury. got to go to, I went to pretty much all the games. Um, so that was a fun summer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, aside from the fact that I almost melted, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, and I I loved my job there. I really did. It was um, it was really kind of a dream come true sort of thing. Where 
I, you know, I lived close to the arena, so I went to all the games. I mean, right. all the games. I sat in the same seats for every game. I had, you know, friends, awesome friends that I made out there who would come with me to all the games. And, you know, we were working on all sorts of cool signage for the arena. We were working on a lot of promo items and um, email graphics. And it, it was weird because at that point, I wasn't even really working on social content. There was sort of a separate digital team that would work on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um Right towards my end of my time there, there were a few projects that I worked on that ended up on social that I was so, so proud of, um, which was really, really exciting. Uh, But it's weird to think about now because that's a huge, huge chunk of what I do at the Nets. And to look back at um, how different, I guess, that role was for me at the Suns, but still, like I was just, I mean, I was 24 at the time and I was working what I considered my dream job. Um, right. as a designer in the NBA and we just we had a great team um you know in terms of designers and uh, I just had an awesome experience there and I I could have seen myself you know being there long term but I was sort of starting to get a bit homesick mm-hmm. you know after being in Kentucky for a year and then I was in Phoenix for a year I was sort of starting to you know I was missing things at home you know I, I remember I right. missed Thanksgiving that year which was which yeah. was tough just because the flights home were prohibitively expensive and right. that was that was a little bit of a bummer and even just oh I missed my friend's birthday party that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to fly home across the country for so stuff like that was was kind of starting to weigh on me a little bit right. um, even though I did really enjoy it there but um, that was where you know the the next phase in the journey came in where you know one day I just got the message from you know someone at ESPN they were looking to, to fill a, a brand new role. And that ended up being just a, a really exciting and awesome fit for me there. So, you know, it was just a kind of time to, to move back home, if you will. Um, right. Just because ESPN being based in Connecticut was only an hour away from, from where my parents live. So um, it's my understanding where you went to in ESPN, you were sort of siloed off as, as the only designer within like that sort of statistics like social account or what, what type of stuff were you working on there? Yeah. So it was, um, if you ever see ESPN stats and info on Twitter, they're, they're really active. It was that department and actually helped run that account. Even, even down to pressing tweet on the, on the tweets. And so essentially they were looking for a graphic designer to come in and take all of these really cool stats and notes that you see, you know, so-and-so did something for the first time in 50 years. Um, they have a huge team of researchers and statisticians who come up with all that stuff. And it was really amazing because that was a whole brand new world I knew nothing about. And, you know, they would want that stuff to look cool on Twitter and, uh, and sometimes on TV too, which was, which was amazing. I remember the first time I was sitting at my desk and I had created a graphic and someone had taken it and put it on the sports center that was that oh, was wow. airing at the moment. And I was just like, oh my God, That's that is the cool coolest moment. thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So I was, yeah, essentially making cool graphics and visualizations off of stats. Did you get to cross paths with, with Chin Wong at all? Or, cause I know that they have that whole creative group and I'm curious about like the design culture. Did y'all get to speak to each other, go to various events and, and that type of thing? A little bit. Um, there was a creative director, uh, Carol Boyle, who works more on the on the TV side, who 
was someone that sort of started to take me under her wing a little bit. And because I think, like you said, early on, we sort of realized that I was, um, it wasn't serving me or anyone well to be siloed um, as kind of the only designer. So what was cool was I got to to go spend time with the the designers on the you know broadcast side a little bit less. I, I did um, meet Chin one time and, you know, got a tour of kind of the, the section of the campus where they, where they sit with the magazine, but I was spending a little bit more time with the broadcast designers and they're extremely talented. I mean, I think the peak of their work is when you see, you know, like Monday night football, for example, um, and the yep. graphic packages that they put together are stunning. Lucas Nickerson. Yep, exactly. Yep, yeah, they're, they're killing it. That work is insane. It's, it's really mind-blowing. And there was just the way that they would render these things out was was next level. And I remember I was sitting with them a little bit and started to learn a little bit about cinema mm-hmm. um, and After Effects. And I was just starting to get started with some of that motion stuff. And they were helping me a little bit with that. And it was, I mean, they're, they're next level. That If you want to talk about, you know, imposter syndrome, that... <laughs> What about uh, Timothy O'Shaughnessy from uh, at Rusted House on Twitter from the college football side? Did you interact with him? At, at He's, I don't think we interacted, but he, I, I know his work well. He's incredibly talented. It's just, it really, it really is just incredible work that they do on that side. Um, so, you know, I was, I was spending a little bit of time with them and, and learning from them as much as I could, um, you know, which was, which was cool. And I, I think at some point, you know, I definitely had, aspirations of of moving over to that side of the business um Mm -hmm. you know and and being able to hopefully serve the stats group but be you know housed kind of with the other creatives you know but but espn's a grind if you you really want to talk about a grind i Mm -hmm. think that was what what uh what really you know took took me back a little bit was just you know, you're, you're there for college football on Saturdays all day. And then you're there for NFL all day on, on Sundays. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tough. And then that was the year that the Warriors were, um, the 73 win team. Mm -hmm. And so they were, you know, making history and a lot of the company was, you know, it's, it was of course a high priority to cover them to the fullest. And so I would be there until, you know, 2, 3 a.m. wrapping up a Warriors game where they just, you know, won their 25th straight game. Right. You know, to begin the season. or They they, they started off the season, I think, like 24 or 25 and 0 that season. Mm-hmm. And we were just covering every single minute of it. And, you know, it was it was crazy. But it was, I learned a lot there. Got to interact with, with um, a lot of the social folks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we started to create some really good synergies. Um, you know, some of the stuff that, I was doing, you know, the social team would, would look at me as an extra resource. And, you know, when I say the social team, I mean the people who would run the at ESPN and at SportsCenter and right. NFL and the different, you know, NBA on ESPN accounts, those sorts of things. And, you know, they started to repurpose a lot of my work as well. So uh, that was really cool, you know, to see something that I did for the stats department then end up on main ESPN feed um, right. which was really really cool and then and then even on uh on the website as well there were a couple things a couple bylines that i got i started to create a lot of these uh longer form infographics which was mm-hmm. probably my favorite thing that i that i got to do there and 
you know, you can see some of them on my website, but we would pick kind of these big moments, right? So um, Steph Curry winning unanimous MVP, let's say, or the anniversary of Kobe's 81-point game. Um, And we would do just these super in-depth looks at, you know, whatever that was. So for Kobe, we had... We had his shot chart. We had him versus the different defenders, like who he scored more of his points on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had just the, you know, obviously where that falls in NBA history, um, the second, you know, um, second highest scoring game in NBA history, just those statistical nuggets. And we would just find those sorts of big moments and amplify them through these infographics, which Mm -hmm. was really cool. And then those would get put on the website, um, which were really cool experiences just to think the way that you would be able to just scroll and scroll and scroll and just keep getting, you know, more and more um, right. info. And then we would sort of repurpose some of that stuff for TV or for, for social. If you're not going to, you know, the viewing experience on your phone for social, we weren't going to put this giant infographic, but we would take a quarter of it at the top and then link back out to, the website, so you could see the full. If that makes so, sense. So, so were those uh, were those static graphics on the website at the time, or did they have like the developers go in and mess with some interactions and that type of thing? So they were all static, but then there was there was a team that I worked with sometimes, Neil Jameson, and his team would would take that sort of stuff and bring it to life through um, motion, and they would code things out so that when you scroll, different things appear. And they did some extremely. Impre- they they still do. They do some really awesome stuff with that. Right. Um, that sort of stuff. So. That's cool. So let's talk Brooklyn. Um, I feel like that you know you eventually landed in Brooklyn. It seems based on the fact that you've stuck around for five years and you've you've promoted from graphic designer to senior designer. Um, that you've almost, in a way, it seems like you've kind of found a home. Right. So yeah, I'd love to hear your, your take on that, that whole move. And then also uh, a former guest on here, uh, Steve Vollmer Jr., who is at the time he was with the NFL headquarters. And now he's a creative director for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that you worked with him and you've mentioned to me before that you got to sort of like mentor under him and, and kind of that value of having good creative leaders and, and championing you and helping you grow. So I'm curious if you could sort of touch on some of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you nailed it. I think, uh, while I was, you know, moving and moving and moving early on in my career. And it felt like, I mean, literally every year I had a different job, especially even with, you know, I was at IMG for a year, I was at Phoenix for a year and I was at ESPN for a year. And then, you know, when I got to Brooklyn, I just remember feeling like I could exhale. And I remember feeling like, like you said, I had sort of found a home. I always had dreams of living in New York City. It was just something that I always had as a goal for myself. And so to be able to come down here was, was awesome. And I did grow up, you know, a fan of the other team across the river, but this was, this was cool because I remember someone said to me early on, wow, like that's an aggressive brand. And I remember thinking, all right, this is going to be, you know, a challenge, but uh, you know, right. I'm totally up to it. And um, yeah, the all black, everything. I think Jay-Z was maybe involved at the time even. Yep. Yep. Jay-Z was involved and, and everyone, you know, I remember even to this day when I tell people where I work, it's, oh, like, have you met Jay-Z or, you know, uh, oh, Biggie. Like, that's yeah, the, yeah. You know, everyone thinks of Biggie and, and that sort of thing. But but I've loved it here. Um, I really have. And I've had some some great creative leaders, like you mentioned. Um, you know, Steve didn't originally bring me here. Um, it was uh, our good friend, Justin Beyer, mm-hmm. who uh, works now at the 
New York Red Bulls and um, my current VP of creative, Jeff Gamble. Those are the guys who brought me here. And then Steve came in in 2018 um, and, you know, worked here for a couple solid years before he moved on to the Buccaneers and won a title or won a, won a Super Bowl. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then uh, we got Derek Hamilton's my, my right-hand guy, my yeah. partner in design crime. So he's, he's still here. He's my, he's my buddy. So, uh, you know, we've had a, we've had a really good group over the years. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And, and you and I, we've sort of spoken in the past, like it's interesting that you, um, have been able to gain this trust with your leadership. And, and I feel like that as creatives, like oftentimes we're looked at as, uh, especially in-house, you can almost be looked at as like an in-house Kinko's and like, oh, just crank this stuff out. But but somehow you've been able to build relationships and and develop a uh, a trust with these people. And, and so I'm curious if you could maybe touch on some of that and, and if there's any advice that you could give to people that are at other, you know, everywhere's obviously different with different personalities and whatnot, but is there anything sort of intentional that you were able to do or is this just kind of things that naturally happen, right leadership, right time, those types of things? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, of everything that you just touched on. You know, I would just say be authentic and, and be yourself. As you know, and I'm sure a lot of people who are going to listen to this now, I'm super active on Twitter. And, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of just, you got to advocate for yourself because no one else is, is really going to, if not you. And so, you know, I would just, I just started to kind of put my work on Twitter and, you know, started to kind of get noticed. And I think, things started to really shift for me when our ownership changed over from, uh, that was 2019, I believe. Um, our ownership changed to, uh, to Joe Sai took over the um, full 100% of the team. And he caught wind of my work through Twitter. Um, and he, it was when I designed, when I painted a pair of sneakers for myself, with the uh, Biggie Coogee pattern, which we don't call it, we're not allowed to call it Coogee, it's Brooklyn Camo, but so that people know what I'm, what I'm referring to. I had painted a pair of sneakers for myself. It was a pair of Air Maxes and I had the, the pattern on them and they got, you know, they got noticed by a lot of people. And I remember it definitely caught the eye of, of ownership. And then I think from there, I've sort of been, been on their radar a little bit. And, you know, ever so, you know, they- Did that get amazing. covered by Nice Kicks? Because I know you had some stuff that was. There was yeah, there was the second version of it. So I did. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I've done a couple. I've done a a few. If you consider, um, you know, some of the pairs I've done for um, other people, not myself. But um, so the second pair got covered by Nice Kicks. But the first one was really what what kind of set it off. And you know, I think from there, um, you know, they've just gotten to know me and know my work. And like I said, I've just been a hundred percent myself and authentic on on Twitter. And I think that it's kind of led to people, you know, knowing what I'm about and, you know, hopefully making me, I, I like to just be, you know, um, you know, show that I'm a human, you know, put a human behind right. the, the creative. Right. Um, well, it almost seems like that you really sort of champion the brand outside of what y- your normal day to day is. Right. Cause you'll work on side projects and some of those side projects will be Brooklyn based. Yeah, and and with the side projects, you know, I've been I've been lucky that you know leadership and and um, and everyone has has given me that that leeway to to do some of those those things. Um, you know, when it comes to a lot of the 
custom sneaker stuff, which we can, you know, definitely talk more about. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, I saw um, a thread on Twitter about how, you know, some brands, I guess, necessarily don't love when their employees are super, you know, vocal on Twitter. I love it. I, I think it's great. I think, you know, not that I'm any sort of influencer or anything like that, but I think a lot of Nets fans have kind of started to get to know who I am over the years. Yeah. And I like to sort of provide this little peek behind the curtain where I'll show, um, you know, a, a process video or just kind of add some context to a certain project that, you know, the main account isn't going to. So if it's, you know, a certain Jersey launch or if it's, you know, a certain campaign, I can sort of provide a little bit more color and give people just someone to, you know, I, I mean, I'm a fan just as much as I am a designer for the team. Right. right. So um, I like to riff off of the fans too and, and get a feel for, you know, how they feel about things. And, you know, not that I live in the mentions, but it, it does kind of matter, you know, what the, what the fans think. And, right. um, you know, we, we sort of look to them for inspiration in a lot of ways. So. Well, I think it's a very smart strategy, at least as an individual creative, but also for the team, because you, you are such a brand advocate for the Nets that like, I feel like everybody sort of associates you with the Nets, right? It's like, you know, uh, Jay Cav is the Nets designer and Nets creative. So everything that you're sort of posting, even when you kind of started recently dabbling in illustration and trying to like uh, hone your skills there, uh, I think even one of those was a, was a, total side project, right? Like, didn't you do a Kyrie piece and and it was not for the for the team, but it was a side thing and it got a lot of play. So it let the Nets brand get out there and get uh, get recognized in a way that it, it maybe normally wasn't. Yeah, for sure. And I think with a lot of that, a lot of some of the, you know, side projects when it comes to illustration specifically started, you know, taking shape a lot more in in quarantine, I was, you know, frankly, really bored <laughs> in the beginning and kind of just needed an outlet to just, you know, we were, we were pretty quiet on social in the beginning, um, just in terms of how we were handling the pandemic in the early stages. And I just sort of started to, to draw and started to, you know, there's a, there's some illustrators that I follow on, on Instagram who focus on, on basketball. One of them is this guy, uh, his handle is bam, 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 99. He's, he's incredible. I, I like honestly just draw on the ground when I'm looking at this guy's work. And so I just sort of started to dabble in it a little bit, see if it was, you know, something that I could do. And I, I'm sort of that person where I think it's just that like athlete mentality of, I, I want to just challenge myself to do this thing because I need to know if I can do it. Um, and so I started to just kind of do some of that. And, and what, what ended up being cool with, with that was early on, I did one for Spencer Dinwiddie, one of our players, and he ended up, I, you know, of course I tagged him in it and he found it and reposted it on his, his own page, tagged me in it, which was really cool. He's, he's really good at, about uh, tagging the creators, but so he reposted it. And then, and then it sort of was like this proof of concept where, oh, you know, if the, if the players like it, that's the ultimate, you know, check that we need. Right. And so we started posting some of them and then it became this series where it was this, you know, quarantine scenes is kind of what we called it. So it was just this fun thing again, while there were, you know, the, there were no games being played where I was just drawing the guys and kind of visualizing how they were 
spending their quarantine or how we thought that they might be spending their quarantine. And so, you know, like Joe Harris was, was, uh, said he was really into baking. So we did him in the kitchen and Jared Allen was, is super into video games. So I had him, you know, in, uh, you know, as a Mario Kart character, um, and things like that. And so sort of just, um, started that way. And then, you know, like you, like you said, there was, a you know, some, some of the projects have actually been, you know, other clients. So I did a project for Duke women's basketball with um, Carol Lawson. I did one for Chris Middleton and for his uh, holiday initiative, which was really cool. I did uh, during quarantine, Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers of the Astros started their own podcast where they talked about um, UFC. They're really into UFC. Mm-hmm. And they, it was, uh, they, they're friends of a friend basically. And, um, got asked to do the illustration for their podcast, which was really cool. And then I think, you know, the most exciting one was one that I, that I did for myself, which was, um, the Disney series and how that originated was when the NBA announced that they were going to resume the season in the bubble in Disney, um, or Orlando, uh, I decided I was going to do, I was going to use our Nets players and we were going to do sort of a countdown. And on the day of, of each guy's number, right? So on 31 days to the season, we would be Jared Allen and we would do something. We would do just a cool piece of art of Jared with something Disney related that, you know, resonates with him. So he's super into Star Wars and there's this big Star Wars land at Disney. So we were, we were going to do the Star Wars Jared Allen graphic. And the unfortunate thing that happened with that is some of the guys started to, um, I guess, drop out, you could say, from, you know, the resumption because of COVID and, you know, different different reasons. So we kind of, you know, we nipped it in the bud in terms of making that a series that we would do on the Nets handle. Mm-hmm. But I decided to do it just for myself. And so I essentially, and then I was like, well, it'll get a lot more play too, because I can make it the whole NBA. So, you know, I used Spencer as, you know, just to obviously have a Nets presence in there, but I used LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi. And, um, you know, there were like, there were probably 15 of them, you know, the stars. And it was so much fun. I had, you know, just such a great time doing it and, and everyone loved it. And I, you know, I tweeted it out there and, it got picked up first by SB Nation, which was really cool. And then shortly after that, you know, I got the the ESPN assignment desk DM, which I was, you know, familiar with from my time there. That's basically right. the account that checks to make sure that they have your permission to use, you know, your creative or, you know, whatever your content is. So they reached out and they were like, Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna use this. And I just I mean, I think I fell out of my chair. It was I was just so excited. And then, you know, a couple of days before the bubble started, um, the ESPN account and the sports center account posted it. And it was just, that was probably one of the most exciting things that I would say could ever really have happened. So that's so crazy. It's very interesting. I think that you can definitely see your evolution as a creative throughout the COVID, you know, quarantining process where, you know, some people took to, and, and listen to each their own, like some people's mental health, they needed to take a break and just like watch a bunch of Netflix or whatever. But I always 
get inspired when I see creatives kind of go in and, and really just like evolve their style or, or whatever they're working on. And so it's been interesting to watch you from afar and, and see you take on this whole illustration aspect to the point where now, you know, I mean, you would call basically call yourself an illustrator, you know? So it's, so it's, a, so it's a very cool thing. And to see it also bleed into your day-to-day work where your, your people at the nets are taking notice of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's one of the coolest things now too, is, you know, I, I sort of honed this skill on my own, but now we apply it to the nets all the time. And it sort of, it sort of gives us this cool, you know, extra little something that's unique to us and very ownable. Like if you go on our Instagram, you'll see the, um, the story highlights right underneath the bio before you get to the, the content we have, each guy has their own little, um, icon which is their face all you know illustrated and that's where you know you can click through to see all the different instagram stories that are for each guy they're bucketed that way and you know we've we've done a lot of illustration stuff now with our holiday content you know when it comes to um thanksgiving easter christmas um all all the holidays we've, we've been doing illustration so like i said it's just something different because the other thing too is with some of that stuff is after you've you know, I've been here five years and, you know, I know that's not a lifetime by any stretch, but when you're on your kind of fifth go around with some of these things, it's, it's hard to think about how to do a Christmas graphic differently, you know, right. for the fifth time. Right. Um, but I think with that stuff, we, we lean a lot into our players and our identity in that way, um, which is always different. You know, the players that we had two seasons, I mean, we've had complete pretty much a 180 in terms of turnover on our team. Um, so, you know, we just focus on, on new players, which is, you know, something that is cool that we can do. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be something fresh we can bring to the table. Well, and that's, and that's actually interesting and leading into my next question. So with a, with a color palette that is, you know, that some people would consider would be easy to sort of stagnate in. I personally love black. I wear a lot of black, <laughs> but, <So do> I. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't know if that's like a creative thing or what, but like, it feels like a lot of designers are like totally into wearing black <laughs> all the time. But how do you, <laughs> how do you mix it up? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, how do you, how do you shift things and, and create work that is not so boring just using the black and white? Cause I know at one point you sort of dabbled in or tapped into like the whole Massimo Vignelli subway system type look and all that. Yeah. So I think it's, it's finding those ways to use color, um, you know, to, to offset against the the black and white. So like you mentioned with the, with the, you know, MTA aesthetic, we use that for a lot of things. So right now I'm kind of doing our birthday graphic series is, uh, is with the subway lettering. So, you know, if, if it's, um, if it's, uh, you know, let's say Kyrie's birthday, he's number 11, I'll use the ones, from the from the subway system, if it's Joe Harris's birthday, I'll use the J as in the the J train and use that color. So that's kind of that one series. And then this year, it's been really cool. And then even in in the prior couple of years with with everything Biggie, but you know this year we got the Basquiat jerseys and we're mm-hmm. wearing um, our classic jerseys from nineteen ninety one. So we have a lot of color in our palette this year, which is super refreshing. And you know I think you know to your point like it helps break it up. And I think fans really love that stuff. And, and then, you know, you've got your, like, I'm, I'm just thinking right now, just off the cuff, all-star game is something where you can bring in blue and red for, you know, the, the NBA's colors and, you know, for, for holidays, you bring that stuff in, um, 
you know, for Lunar New Year, I did an illustration that was red and gold, just bright red and gold. Um, you know, for Christmas, you bring in color. So I think, yeah, I mean, like sometimes when it comes to your, uh, you know, your, your everyday stuff, you're looking at a lot of black and white, but, you know, we've started, we, in the years past, we, we used a lot of, you know, black and white photography. And I think there's still a place for that. And I think it's still super beautiful, but we've leaned a lot more on, on color photography, you know, in the, in the last couple of years to really, um, you know, give our feed some of that color and, and personality. I think um, a lot of people in the organization, you know, really want the players to be, you know, most record as most um, as recognizable as possible um, in that sense. So, well, and speaking of color, uh, recently you actually tweeted out the other, well, actually the Nets tweeted this out the other day. Um, you got a shout out from the account where you worked with uh, Bruce Brown and uh, I guess a partnership with Red Bull to redesign the tunnel. Can you tell us a little about, about that? Yeah. So that was, um, that was a really cool one. Bruce was a, a joy to work with and essentially, yeah, that, that player tunnel is, you know, sort of that, that bridge from, you know, back of house where the guys are, getting, you know, excited to play. They're they're in the huddle, they're saying their last couple of things and then they're running out there full speed ahead, ready to to play. And so the tunnel's kind of like that cool symbolic moment of, you know, where they're they're coming out, you know, to greet the fans basically for the first time, that sort of thing. And so, you know, that area is, you know, so um and it's something that we film every game, um, something that goes on social every game. And it's sort of like this special moment. And so, you know, with Red Bull being involved, it's this kind of, they wanted to have this high energy moment, right? And Bruce is sort of this, I think I mentioned this, is he's the uh, energy guru of the team, so he says, right? So um, he was the perfect guy to work with just in terms of getting the pulse of the team. Like, how, like right. what, is that, what does that moment mean for the team? Like, what, uh, what do you want that to look like? That, that, what do you want that moment to feel like? Um, do you want it to be bright? Do you want it to be dark? Um, he's super into color. And I think that that like speaks to, you know, just energizing the guys. And we wanted to just make that more of a dynamic and vibrant environment. Um, and then he talked a little bit about forward motion, um, just as a team, as an organization, we're, we're all moving forward. And so that was kind of the, impetus behind some of the design choices too was with um, kind of bringing in the, the herringbone pattern as you can sort of see in it is a you know a big part of our dna that's um it's present on all of our jerseys um in some of the side piping and in the fabric um so i've definitely been kind of leaning heavily on that herringbone texture it's mm -hmm. the court the the texture of the court is is herringbone um the wood so right you know it's kind of a, a huge part of our of our DNA. So, so mixing that in with, with the color. And I, I think that Bruce's reaction said it all. He was, he was uh, you know, super excited to see it and hopefully the guys are, you know, inspired by it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's kind of funny that the, the way the tweet is written, it calls you Brooklyn based designer. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're not affiliated yeah. with the nets almost like right, right, this right. random Brooklyn based designer, but that's, that's a super cool moment. I think it's great that, that the team, any team that does this, man. I mean, if they can, if they can shout out the creatives, because it's so many people that are behind the scenes doing this stuff, and you do a very good job of telling your own story. But you know, people need credit for this work, in my opinion, and especially since you're building things for like these multi-million dollar brands, and like you know, and 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 I understand that like people are going to like the Brooklyn Nets no matter what 
you do, you know what I'm saying? Or any of us do. So we can't like get the big head and be like, yeah, we we're building this thing. But our, our sports designers work is, is very important, especially with this content, uh, you know, content hungry world, um, and, and throughout COVID and whatnot. So, so definitely kudos to you on that. Um, we are, we're, we're a little over an hour. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of shout out a couple projects that you've done, if you want to, that we haven't discussed. Um, so is there anything in particular that you really wanted to touch on and kind of let the audience know about that they can check out or, or give some stories on that I may not have the knowledge to, uh, to ask that particular question? Yeah, no, I mean, I think we can uh, we can talk a little about custom sneakers if you want. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, yeah. so how did this? When did that start? Um, you obviously got a chance to work with the Red Bulls on on some stuff with that. Yep. So I would say this started when I was in high school. It was actually I showed up at basketball practice one night, and one of my teammates had drawn all over her shoes with sharpies, and she was actually pretty artistic, but, you know, I was looking at it like, oh, I mean, that's cool, but I'll, let me show you how it's done, right? <laughs> so that's just like this, <laughs> this, that same, you know, mentality. But so I, you know, I, I took my own pair of beaters, whatever I had, whatever I could get my hands on and did the same thing, drew, drew whatever on the shoes. But what happened with the Sharpies is it, it faded pretty quickly. It looked horrible. So I started to, you know, just hit YouTube and figure out how to, how to paint shoes. So it turns out there was this whole community, um, you know, not dissimilar from the sports design community where there's, you know, sneaker customizers. And so I remember even being early on in this group on Facebook and, you know, there were blogs, um, painter thread was one of them, one of the main ones. And, um, I just, you know, started to take whatever shoes I could find. It was actually funny. I used, I don't know if you remember uh, the Stefan Marbury shoes that were $15. Yeah. Um, the one where he got the tattoo on the side of his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So because those were $15, uh, it was an easy base shoe, um, you know, for me to justify potentially ruining. So I remember, you know, I, I, my first pair that I painted, I used those. And then from there, it was just, all right, like, I think I could do this. And then it was just practice and practice and when I got to college, it was something that I would do, you know, once people found out that I did it, it was like, oh my God, I, you gotta, you gotta do mine. Yeah. So I was just started to, you know, I started to do it for a lot of random people on campus and friends that I knew and, um, you know, just started to do my own and just kept getting better at it and better at it. Um, and then I sort of stopped doing it. I would say around the time where, um, probably, you know, right after I graduated college when I really started to work and then started to do a lot of freelance work. It was just, it wasn't, um, it wasn't lucrative at all. It was, mm -hmm. you know, I was get when I would do the math, I'm like, I'm getting paid two bucks an hour to do this because, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, it, cause you know, I, I wouldn't be charging my friends or, or anyone really that I knew that much. Right. And then I would be spending 20 hours on it. Right. So I was like, I can't, you know, it, this isn't really, you know, people I think sometimes have this idea that it, they're paying for a pair of shoes and it's like, you're not, you're, you're paying for artwork, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to get this for, I mean, at least I can't justify doing it for, you know, a couple hundred bucks, right? Like, right. so, um, so I sort of stopped doing it a little bit in favor of kind of doing freelance work and, you know, focusing on my career um, a lot more, but then it was interesting because I, I would definitely credit 
Justin at the Red Bulls for kind of getting me back into it. And, you know, he had hit me up a few years ago. They were doing their initiative for Tackle Kids Cancer. And what was cool was each of the players, there were 12 of them that got involved and they were each paired up with a pediatric cancer patient at the local hospital. And the guy, the player would sit down with the, with the kid and they would literally on paper draw out what they wanted and they would do whatever came to mind. If the kid was into superheroes or, you know, they put their names on it and it was cute. Like, you know, they would do Aaron and then, you know, the kid's name and they would, you know, put whatever they wanted. And then I would basically just be translating it from their drawings onto the shoes and then they wore them on the field. And then after the game, they split them. So one shoe would go to the the kid and then one shoe would, would be kept with the player. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a cool thing to get involved with. And, you know, it was, um, I got to go to the, the game where they did it. And I did it two years in a row, which was, which was awesome. It was just cool to get involved with something like that and, you know, really get back into, you know, customizing. It was just a lot of fun. And then from there, it sort of kind of, um, became something that I started to do a lot more of. And I did, uh, you know, I got in touch with our equipment manager and I, you know, I said to him, is there any, you know, any of the players that we could, uh, we could do something for. And he was like, well, you know, I'd want it to be someone, you know, who will really appreciate it. And so we landed on D'Angelo Russell and, you know, he was, he ended up being an all-star that season. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got the, got the sneakers from the equipment staff and painted them and he ended up wearing them for two games, which was really cool. Um, and that got picked up by Bleacher Report Kicks and a few under, a few other, you know, smaller outlets, which was, which was unbelievable. So that was a lot of fun. How did the, how did the Eli Manning one come about? So the Eli one was, there's an agency in the city um, that I work with who represents him. Um, they're called Excel. They're similar to... Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar um, with them. Yeah, sports market, yep. or sports uh, representation, like a management firm. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, it's just uh, through networking, through friends and that sort of thing, have connections there. And it was part of the My Cleats, My Claws that the, NBA, uh, that the NFL was doing. So they, they knew that, you know, I did this. It was something that... Um, you know, again, just through through talking to them and through friends that they caught wind of this, you know, talent that I have. And they they just asked me if I wanted to do it. And it was, I mean, that was extremely, extremely cool. Um, yeah, so his no was doubt. his was based off of the um, Man of the Year Foundation, which he's super involved with. And so it had kind of the, the Man of the Year logo on it, which was really cool because when I told Derek... Derek Hamilton, my my coworker at the Nets, that I was doing it, he was like, "Oh, I designed that logo." <laughs> oh, that's he, funny. Uh, previously worked at the NFL, yeah. designed that logo, and so that was a, a really cool um, moment too. But you know, he wore them for a game. It was against the Bears. This was a couple of years ago, so that was really really cool. And then this year, we, I did a pair for DeAndre Jordan, um, or last year, I would I should say, but he didn't end up getting a chance to wear them because um, it was kind of two-pronged. There was uh, Kobe passed away. And at that point in time, he started wearing Kobe's um, right. you know, just 
in memory and then and then COVID hit, you know, right? So right. Um, so those still hadn't seen the court. They they uh they were based off of the the biggie um theme. They were, mm-hmm. you know, to go with our city edition uniforms. So were the 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 D'Angelo Russell ones. Um they were they were based off of our city edition. So yeah, and it's just been I mean, there's nothing quite like, you know, I was sitting in the stands watching the game where D'Angelo was wearing the shoes and it was one of those weird things where I'm rooting for him as if he's like my kid, right? Yeah. Like, like, Oh my God, if he, if he misses a shot, if he, if he plays bad in the first half, he might take them off and change them at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. The, all the superstitions of sports and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, like I, I used to do that when I, when I played, like I would bring extra shoes to the game. And if I had a bad first half, I would, change my shoes at halftime. I don't even get how these guys wear brand new sneakers every game anyway. Like to me, that's oh, no. craziness. Like I got to break those things in, man. <laughs> I remember getting like legitimate huge blisters from brand new shoes and just thinking, oh, you know, like I need to break them in. And, you know, the best part was when they were broken in and now these guys just roll out their new shoes every game. Yeah. <laughs> their feet are made of something different. I, I don't, yeah, it's I so don't crazy. Know. Well, listen, it's been awesome. It's been awesome chatting with you. I'm so glad we were able to make this work. Um, it's been great to see you sort of evolve in your own journey over the years. And I'm very, you know, fortunate and happy to also call you a friend. Uh, you do some inspiring things. And so I, I thank you so much for taking the time to come aboard. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is Awesome. And um, I'm definitely glad to be able to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much. Um, so in wrapping up, why don't you give listeners uh, a chance to follow you, find your work and that type of thing? Yeah, no problem. Um, so on Twitter and Instagram, my handle is it's jcav, I-T-S-J-K-A-V. Um, website is jessicavanna.com. Behance, same thing, Jesse Cavanna. So yeah, look forward to, uh, you know, hopefully connecting with some more people. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Adam. Appreciate it. Awesome. There you have it, Jcav. Thanks a lot. Thank you. My next guest is going to be Ali Ramon. Ali is a 3D graphic artist and is the founder and creative director of a company called Sports Templates. If you're not familiar with sportstemplates.com, but work in the social media sports space, you have certainly seen their work as they create the industry standard Photoshop templates for designers, such as uniforms, balls, sport courts, and fields, and more. Their templates have been used by ESPN, Bleacher Report, and numerous professional and collegiate sports organizations around the world. You can follow the company at Sports Template. Uh, that is not plural. The the Instagram and Twitter accounts are not plural. So it's at Sports Template on Instagram and Twitter. Big thanks again to my pal, Jcav, for coming aboard the podcast. As she mentioned, you can find her on both Instagram and Twitter at It's Jcav. And again, her work can be found at jessicavana.com. Past Makers of Sport episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts at makersofsport.com slash iTunes, on SoundCloud, Spotify, or on the website, makersofsport.com. I am actually redesigning my website right now. I'm going to try to bring more content uh, from a written perspective. Uh, I posted a tweet recently 
looking for writers, people either either designers that want to write or writers that appreciate and want to write about design. So if that does fit you, please reach out to me, get into my direct messages on Twitter or Instagram and hit me up. Uh, I'm building a, a private Twitter list right now that I'm calling The Bench. So essentially it'll be freelance writers that will be able to contribute to the Makers of Sport brand and the sports design and, and advertising and creative industry through through Makers of Sport. If you do enjoy the sponsor-free content coming from Makers of Sport and are interested in keeping it ad-free, you can support the show by joining the member community at makersofsport.com slash community. In exchange for your fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content such as private Q&As with future, former, and special guests, early access to podcast episodes, community video hangouts, as well as interact, share private, trustworthy feedback, and build relationships with like minded professionals in the live chat. You'll also receive a 20% discount on all current and future Makers of Sport products. Speaking of Makers of Sport products, I launched an apparel store. You can check that out at makersofsport.com slash store. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, click the five star and write about your positive experience with the show. This helps others like yourself discover the podcast and the value it brings educationally to people wanting to work on the creative side of the sports business. If you can't support the show fiscally, these comments are a great way to show your love and support. I read them all. It helps keep me going, especially when I reach burnout phases. Um, those always inspire me to see that this show is helping people. I'll also accept any ratings or likes on Stitcher SoundCloud or whichever podcast application you happen to be listening in. Uh, I'm at T. Adam Martin on social. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. <laughs>